We just thank you for this evening. We do thank you for your word and for your care. Lord, we lift up those that aren't here today and you know what's going on and why and touch hearts. Bring your spirit into people in a strong way and they'll make decisions to follow you. And we ask you to guide and lead us in our study tonight. Teach us what you would have us to learn. In Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah chapter 25, starting at verse 1. O Lord, you are my God, I will exalt you, I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things, your counsels of old are faithfulness and true, for you have made a city a heap, a defended city a ruin, a palace of strangers to be no city, it shall never be built. Therefore the strong people glorify you, the city of the terrible nations shall fear you. For you have been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shadow from the heat when the blast of the terrible ones is as a storm against the wall. You shall bring down the noise of strangers as the heat in a dry place, even the heat with the shadow of a cloud, the branch of the terrible ones shall be brought low. And this is a moment of praise in Isaiah's prophecy. Uh, the, the Lord, you are my God. And I kind of like this because it's the first one, the Lord is Yahweh. It's the existing one. That's God's name. That's what he told the Israelites. You know, my name is Yahweh or I am that I am is what Yahweh translates out to be. The, uh, uh, sometimes you'll hear him called the existing one. I don't really like that title, but it is one of the definitions <laughs> in, in the uh, concordance. Uh, or the lexicons, but, Jesus, but God says, I am. You know, I am that I am. It says, you know, he is who he is. And he says, you are my God. And it says, I will exalt you. And that exalting means to lift up, extol. And I don't think many of us spend enough time exalting God, just lifting him up. Uh, one of the things I love sometimes, because I'm in a little office area all by myself, I can just sing, you know, or whatever while I'm working and, you know, it's so much fun sometimes just to lift God up and, uh, and praise him. And, you know, we need to do more of that. Lift God up. Uh, one of the pastors I was listening to yesterday was saying that when we sing praises to God, the entire atmosphere changes around us. And I really think that's true. You know, we sing praises to God and the, the, the demons, the devils don't like to be around it. It lifts us up in our spiritual uh, way you cannot be exalting God and be bad, you know down at the same time. It just cannot happen. It just you know the, the lifting up of God and it says, "I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things." You know, and if we can't find things to praise God for, we've got a problem. <laughs> you know, we give Him laud. We confess His name. We you know, Jesus, God, you are wonderful. And it's one, you know, the more we concentrate on what. God has done for us and who he is, it drives away so much of the negativity. And this is something that we find when we come to church and we lift his name up. You know, we get to leave in a glorified way, no matter what may be going on around us. If we're concentrated on God, all the rest of it is not even noise hardly. It's just, it, it doesn't even come upon us. And I think this is important. Sometimes people ask me, well, how did you put up with such and such? And I'm going, what did I put up with? I was focused on God. I don't know what you were focused on, but I was focused on God. And you know, sometimes it's been, even in churches where I didn't get to pick the songs and everything, it's like, some of the songs may not have been what I wanted to sing, but they still lifted up God and I joined in on the songs. One of the things I'm seeing in a lot of churches anymore during the singing is becoming just a show. The singers up front are singing and everybody's like being entertained. And, you know, and it's just, it's starting to really bother me. Uh, you know, I visited a church here a couple weeks ago and I saw the same thing. You know, nice, lively music up front. I kind of looked around and I didn't know the song, so I couldn't hardly join in. But I looked around, nobody's singing. And I'm going, okay, we're being entertained, but, you know, are we praising God? And this is an area that we need to be looking at. When we are focused on God, the rest of everything just drops away. 
And doesn't matter the noise, doesn't matter this. You know, one of the controversies in churches sometimes is, you know, do you let children come to church? Or do you send them to a children's church? And seen it both ways, and it can, it can work. I got saved in a children's church. It, you know, it was a wonderful experience. We had church. We had offerings. We had singing. We had, you know, our, you know, the, youth, the children's pastor, whoever it was up there. I got saved in an environment that was church for children. Uh, we weren't with the adults. But I've also seen kids in the adult service, and that's a good place for them to be as well, where they can learn from their parents how to sit and be corrected by their parents, you know, pay attention, be quiet. And, you know, but when you're in that situation, if you're really focused on God, you don't notice any chaos around you. And adults can be just as chaotic as, <laughs> as the kids sometimes. And we've seen that occasionally where people are chatting while, while singing is going on or chatting when messages are going on. It, but if you're focused on God, all that stuff is just noise. And if you're not focused on God, you concentrate on all the noise and the chaos and you're not exalting God. And this is what he's saying here. He says, you have done wonderful things. Your counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. Where God, everything you say is solid truth. And this is the one thing about being one of God's children is when you read his word and apply it, you know it's true. And one of the things that's hard with counseling is when somebody says, well, how, you know, this is what's been going wrong. Now how do I fix it? And they say, well, let's see what we're going to do. I mean, you're not going to be able to fix it. We're going to be able to redeem the time. We're going to be able to follow God from this point forward. But there's consequences for breaking these. And if we just learn to trust him. I, when, I, when I don't trust him, I don't do what he says, I get in trouble. <laughs> always. may not be big trouble, but there's always trouble with it. And, God, and he says, your counsels are true. And then it says, for you have made a city a heap. And his first word for city means a permanent dwelling place. All right? He says, you have taken that permanent dwelling place and made it a heap of, of rubble. And then it says, a defensed city. And this word, this word for city means a meeting place. So a, a, a meeting of roads where you would build a, build a place where people would come in. So a defense, a, a meeting of place, a ruin. A palace of strangers or a stronghold for, of strangers shall be no city. It shall never be built or never established or rebuilt is what he's saying. And so God is saying, you know, these strangers, these foreigners, you know, aren't where we're supposed to meet. And we as Christians need to not be at home with the world. And this is something that is so valuable for us to understand. God says we're different. <laughs> we're pilgrims. And many people, in, uh, Christians, will say, well, I don't feel, I can't be at home with all these things I used to do. That's a good thing. <laughs> you know, that means you're growing in Christ. If you can be happy with where, you know, being around the world, then you've got another problem with God. And God will destroy those strongholds. God will destroy our sinful passions when we allow him to. Now, he's not going to come in and say, okay, well, I'm just going to make your life upside down. No, he does to a degree, but he's not there to take away our free will. But he does make it, if we're his, he's going to make it more difficult for us to be doing the things we shouldn't be doing. And I've been there and done that a couple of times, doing something, I'm going, I'm not supposed to be doing this. I thought I'd enjoy it a little bit. Now I'm not even enjoying it because I know I'm not supposed to be here. And God does that to us. And uh, he says, therefore the strong people glorify you. The city of the terrible nations shall fear you. And I love this, the strong people. Many people will say to, to Christians, well, you're nothing but a bunch of weak people that need God. Well, I need God, but I don't know what, you know, I'm not going to declare that as weak. You're going to go, well, you just, you know, I don't need, you know, you're using God as a crutch. I'm going, yeah, I am. What are you using for your crutch? Everybody has something <laughs> that they're leaning on. I would rather lean on God and glorify, make him large than lean on most of what the world leans on. Uh, I've done it, been there. I was a workaholic. Led to nothing. <laughs> Took me away from God and led to nothing in the long run and wasted about six, seven years of my life, you know, where I just started floundering. You know, and we need to, it says, the strong people glorify God. 
And that really is true strength. To, to, to rest and lean on God is really true strength. It is not weakness because it's just saying, God, I have nothing. I need you. And uh, if somebody's got a broken foot and we say they're using crutches, we're not, telling, we're not saying you're weak. You know, you're so weak, you're using those crutches. You know, and you see it every once in a while. Some athlete will get up and, and cross the field on their, on their broken ankle and, and make it worse <laughs> just to show how tough they are. And it's like, okay, you just increased your time <laughs> on the sideline because you were so tough you couldn't let somebody help you. And this is the way the world is. Satan says, you know, be tough. You know, you, can, you don't need God. You can make it. And we end up just digging a deeper hole for ourselves, longer to get out, and we get stuck in that hole until we finally surrender anyway. And this is the wonderful thing. When we surrender to God, he lifts us out of the hole. He lifts us out of the of the mire, lifts us out of the quicksand. He says, okay, I got you. And it says, the, the strong glorify you, and the terrible nations are going to fear you anyway, or we're going to revere you. And then I love this. For you have been a strength to the poor and a strength to the needy in his distress. So God is the strength to those who are poor, those who have need, and the needy in their distress or their straits. One of the things about this life is God puts us into tight places. And he allows those tight places mostly so we'll turn to him. Whether we're a lost person being put into distress, because that's what people aren't going to turn to God until they realize they need him. When they're happy with their whatever situation they're in, whatever sin they're in, they go, well, I don't need God. And I've, I've talked to people, well, I don't need God. I'm happy. I go, well, I don't think you're happy, but we're not going to deal with that at this moment. But when they hit that bottom and the bottom falls out, then they're ready to talk about God. And we're not, we're not as Christians here to argue with them. You don't want to talk about God? Okay, let me know when you're ready. I'm, I'll be more than ready to help you. Now, I'll try to share with them even. But, you know, if they really don't want to hear, nothing I do or say is going to get through. Uh, you know, and it's time to counsel somebody and try to help them. You know, even if they're a Christian, if they don't want to hear, it doesn't matter how good the counsel is. And we've all been there ourselves. You know, I think I've got this. I'm, I'm going to be able to do this. We're not going to listen to anybody. Sometimes that can lead to real disaster. Sometimes it just makes life miserable. Uh, might lead to hell. But you know, until somebody is saying, hitting bottom, they're not going to listen. You know, we're trying to help them learn how to raise their kids until they ruin their kids' life. <laughs> you know, we're not going to be able to help them until they're convinced that they need that help. Uh, when we're raising kids, it's the same thing, especially when they get to be teenagers. Until they hit their little wall, they're probably not going to listen. Uh, we can try to. Hopefully, we've got a relationship that they'll listen a little bit to. And you know, this is what I have to do as a pastor oftentimes, share what God gives me and be ready when somebody need, decides that they need to help. <laughs> because a lot of times, people don't listen to the word. And that's sad. <laughs> it's more sad because just like when we're raising our kids, we know where their path is going to take them. And you just wait until they fall off, the, fall off the ditch or off the cliff and say, OK, let's, let's help you back up. And it hurts when you love somebody enough to care that they don't go over that cliff. And you're hoping they don't. And here he says, you know, you're the one. You're going to take care of these people. You're a refuge from the storm. And this word for storm literally means a downpour, a thunderstorm, which you know, around here, we know how bad those can be, fast, fast, fast rains. When the blast of the terrible ones as a storm against the wall, so again, uh, a shadow from the heat. So, you know, he's saying, God, this is you. You're the shelter from the storm. You're the shadow in the heat. And, uh, and he goes, when the terrible ones or the, or the evil ones are crashing against the wall. And we've talked about this. God is our refuge. When we are in him, the storm breaks against him. And we get to stay comfortable. And I liken it to being in a, like this building with the cinder blocks all around you. Uh, I'm not too worried about just about any storm that can come this way being in this building. Now, tornado could tear down this building, but that's about the extent of what you know, storm activity is going to harm this building. Might tear the roof off, but <laughs> wouldn't tear the walls down. Uh, 
And this is like, this is what it is. If we are in God, we don't have to worry about what, what life throws at us because it pounds on him. The trouble is when we get outside, and I've been through uh, hurricanes and typhoons, and most of the people get hurt in those storms when, they, when the eye crosses over and they get outside thinking the storm's passed. And then when the eye get, crosses back over, they get hit with the full force of the wind instantly, and they get hurt uh, because they were kind of too dumb to stay inside. Yeah, it looks good. Look, wow, look at that. The sky is clear. Uh-huh. It's the eye of the storm. Stay in. <laughs> you know, stay in for a few more minutes and <laughs> don't get hurt. Uh, and sometimes we as Christians do the same thing. We get in the eye of the storm and we go, okay, God, I got this. I can get out here and have some fun in the, fun in the sun. And God's saying, no, we're not done yet. I'll let you know when. And even then he wants us to hide in him until we reach heaven. But, you know, it says he is that protector. And he says, you shall bring down the noise or the din of the strangers as the heat in a dry place, as the heat with the shadow of the cloth, and the branch of the terrible one shall be brought low. He says, God is the one that protects us. You know, he's going to bring down the evil. And this is the great thing, to rest in God. You know, and it's, it's a wonderful thing because God wants us to rest in him. Especially here in America, we just have this idea of, uh, you know, I've got to do something. Now, it may be true other places. I can only speak about America because Americans are who I know. But we seem to have this idea of, God, I've got to do something. I can't just let you do all the work. And God's saying, why not? <laughs> you know, he says, rest in me. Let me work out of you. Let the Spirit work out of you, and you just rest. And, you know, we hear it all the time. You know, God helps those who help themselves. Well, that's not biblical. God helps those who rest in him. <laughs> you know, if we want to help ourselves, God says, okay, we'll let you go help yourself. You do all that you want. Make a mess out of your life. When you're tired of making a mess out of your life, I'll come in and pick the pieces up. And God is really good at redeeming our life when we come back to him. But there always are consequences for all that time we wasted. He'll, he'll make it good. He'll make things good out of it. But there's consequences for all that time we helped ourselves. God, let me, let me just show you what I can do. And God's saying, why? You know, it's, it's like when we uh, are raising a little child and he's wanting to show us how strong he is or she is. You know, and they're picking up the, the little rock. And they're going, see, I can do this. Uh-huh, okay, that's really good. You know, we don't criticize him. And God really doesn't criticize the one thing, but he's saying, I have so much more. There's so much more that I can do. I heard a story one time where the father told his son, I want you to use all your resources available to you to, to clean up all this mess out there. And there were big rocks and really heavy things. And the kid comes in about an hour later and says, I just can't get it done. He goes, have you done everything you can do? He goes, yeah, I've done everything I, you can do. Well, he goes, you didn't ask me for help. And it was quite a point, you know, how many times do we do everything we can do and forget to ask God? And, you know, we have the saying, you know, I tried everything out, else out, maybe I should pray. Uh, that's a very bad attitude, you know. We should be saying, God, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to do what I can. And there is a point where we do what we can do, but we invite God to be in it first. And then let God do what he's going to do. Which he might say, okay, yes, I want you to do some. And this is what I keep sharing. You know, when we trust God, it doesn't mean I just sit on my butt all day waiting for God to pour down blessings and, and give me things. Sometimes I have to go out and actually do some hard work. But God helps out in that work. Uh, like I've shared with people, when I was living by faith, there were often times when I had to work hard to get the money to pay the bills, but God gave the jobs to me <laughs> to be able to work. And we need to understand, you know, just sitting back and resting in God doesn't mean I just, okay, God, I'm in my easy chair. What are you going to do? You're going to just rain down money on me, God? No. Uh, you know, he does expect us to be willing to step out. But also, when we're starting to follow God, supernatural things happen. You know, opportunities show up that just probably wouldn't have shown up if we went there. You know, we find ourselves in a place where we're talking about God, you know, sharing it because we just happen to be at the right place at the right time. And that's happened to me many times. I'm going, God, I don't know why you're having me do this. I really didn't want to do this today. 
and then I end up talking to somebody about him. I go, okay, God, I understand. If I had been sitting at home watching a movie or reading, even studying, I wouldn't have been here. And this is something to just listen to God and step out because he wants us to. And sometimes it's very difficult. We, you know, our flesh, doesn't matter how spiritual we are even, our flesh doesn't want to do what God wants most of the time. You know, God, you know, I'm just tired. I've worked all day. I just want to stay at home. You know, I just want to, God, I want to watch this Christian movie. It's a really good movie. It's going gonna, it's gonna to bless me. And God's saying, well, no, I got another plan. I really have another plan for you. And I want you to be able to touch somebody else's life, not just be ministered to yourself. And many Christians spend all their time being fed, being fed, you know, taking in good stuff. But one of the problems with the Dead Sea in Israel is it has no outlet. So it gets lots of minerals, lots of salts, lots of stuff, and it's dead because it has no outlet. God wants us to pour out. And, you know, when we learn something, we need to use it. <laughs> when we hear something, we need to share it. And this is important when we, you know, and what I'm trying to get people to really look at is when God is teaching you, who are you teaching? Who are you sharing with? We all need those people in our lives that we're encouraging. Because certain people have different, you know, relationships with each person. There's people that I can't encourage real well. And there's other people that I can encourage really well. And we need to be able to reach out to the people and say, let's go. Let's move forward. And so we see here that God says he will bring down the strangers. He will be that, the, the relief from the heat, the, the shadow. Verse 6, And in this mountain shall the Lord of hosts make unto his people a feast of fat things, a feast of wines on the lees. The fat things shall of, full of marrow, of wines on the lees well refined. And he will destroy... In this mountain, the face of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death in victory. The Lord God will wipe away tears from the faces and rebuke and the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off the earth, all the earth for the Lord hath spoken it. And here we there. I love this. This verse, you know, in this mountain shall the Lord of hosts make unto the people a feast of fat things or richly made things. You know, this is, this is the idea that he spreads out a feast. Uh, picture heaven, maybe, maybe even the millennial kingdom, but God says for us, you know, there's coming a time when Christians will have the best of everything in heaven. And he really talks about this. You know, he's talking here about a beautiful banquet. Now, and he kind of leaves this open to whatever people think are, is, is their best thing. You know, uh, man, God, you've got this wonderful table set before me. In heaven, I'll be able to eat lobster again. <laughs> My gout doesn't let me eat lobster, but I would love to have lobster. I like the taste of it. Uh, you know, he says all these wonderful things. And he goes, a feast of wine on the lees. Now, this is very interesting because lees are the dredges. And he's going to make a feast of wine, which means he's going to make it the best wine. You know, and uh, when Jesus made the wine, water into wine at the feast, you know, when Mary said, you know, do what he said, it said, this is the best wine. Why did you leave this wine until all the guys were so drunk they couldn't, <laughs> you know, couldn't tell the difference? You know, and God's saying, he's going to give us feast. He's going to give us the best of the wines. And he goes, and things full of marrow. Uh, and, you know, I, I kind of like the marrow out of the steak bones and everything, you know, so I, I understand this one. It, it's, it's something that is des desired to be the feast, the fatness. And then he goes again, the idea of, and the leaves will be refined. He's going to make the best. And this is quite a party that, that Isaiah is talking about. A beautiful, sumptuous feast with all the best drinks and all the best, the best of the best. And he says, God is going to do that on this mountain, which I'm pretty sure he's talking about Zion and Jerusalem because that's the, the big place and that's where God's going to set up his kingdom and the new heavens and new earth will be there. And you know, just the idea of what God's going to do. 
God has great things for us in store. When we reach heaven, all the pain and suffering we go through on this earth will be forgotten. And you know, I, I really picture this. You know, uh, every once in a while you see these ideas of people having a surprise party. They're being drugged to their surprise party. They didn't, you know, you know, why are you taking me all around town and wasting my time? I didn't, you know, and, they, and they're grumpy. They're grumpy and grumpy. And then they get to their surprise party, and then hopefully everything is forgotten about because they get to enjoy themselves. I kind of picture that as God. God's dragging us all over this world, doing all these things we don't want to do necessarily. And when we get to heaven, there'll be a party. A party will drive all the past completely out of mind and, and open, open us up. And he says, and in verse 7, he will destroy in this mountain the face of the covering cast over the people. And this is kind of the net, a garment that's cast over people. And Satan has a net. He, he's, he's trying to harvest this world and keep them from God. And God says, I will destroy that. I will, I will get rid of this engulfing thing and the veil that is spread over the nations. And this is the world that we live in. Satan has a net cast, cast over, and he's got a veil over everybody's eyes. And every once in a while, that veil is removed, and God says, here, get a glimpse. Get a glimpse, and people come to him. And the sad thing is there's so few people that come to, de- come to God. And I've, you know, we talk to it. Many of us have family members we've talked to, and they just won't respond. And you know, maybe we were one of those people that didn't respond for, for a long time. But I love it when people finally get hold of God and see God <laughs> and say, wow, it is so sweet. You know, and it's, it's funny listening to people, you know, how can you guys read that Bible? How can you spend your, you know, what do you, you know, what, why, why do you follow God? What, you know, what's so special about him? I'm going, well, when you get there, you'll know. It's the same thing I tell people about surrendering to God. When you finally learn to surrender to God, you realize it was pretty easy. And you also realize that you should have done it a long time ago. Uh, because I've been asked so many times, I go, how do you surrender to God? You just do it. <laughs> well, How? You just do it. Once you learn to do it, you're going to realize that you wasted a lot of time trying to figure out how to do it. And my, my example is, you know, if the police were outside saying, come out with your hands up, you've got a choice. You come out with your hands up or you say, no, I'm going to stay in here. You know, eventually they probably win. They'll send the tear gas in or, or the dogs or something, and you're going to come out eventually. And God will say, I'm going to get you to come out eventually. He'd rather it be voluntary. And he says, I've got, a thing. I've got something for you. I'm going to protect you. And verse 8 is wonderful. He will swallow up death in victory, which is exactly what Jesus did. This is a Messianic section here. Jesus conquered death. And it says, the Lord will wipe away tears from their faces, and the rebuke of his people shall be taken away off the earth, for the Lord has spoken it. And the rebuke here is scorn. You know, and this is, this is the wonderful thing. And, you know, I don't fully believe that this is all heaven. You know, I really do believe that he has swallowed up what kills me even in this life. I live victoriously more often than death because he has swallowed up everything here. He wipes the tears from our eyes. When we're concentrating on him, that the tears... Now, there's going to be a literal on all of this. When we get to heaven, death is gone, tears are gone, the rebuke is fully wiped away. But we can live in the truth of this verse now. I don't have to live a defeated life just because I'm in this world. God says, I've given you victory. And the most of it is my attitude to trust and follow him. And he says, I'm going to wipe the tears out away. And you know, I spend time more joyful more often than anything else because I know that God's got a plan. And when we trust in him, things work out. And not saying bad things don't happen, but our, when our eyes are focused on him, it doesn't seem as bad. Uh, I look at things, and you know, I've even shared with sometimes, we go, well, God is so good. And they're going, what? You just went through this, 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 and this. I'm going, yeah, but God is good. And there, there's the, the statement, you know, God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. You know, we need to keep that fully in mind during the bad times or what we think are bad times. God is always good. <laughs> and I think we need to be able to focus on that so that we can say, all right, God may not understand it, 
but you're good. And you know, that's my statement with, you know, for all things work together for good for those who are called according to the purpose of God, Romans 8.28. No matter what's going on in my life, God will work it out for good. And I've seen that over and over in my lifetime. I've seen it over and over in the biographies I read. <laughs> I've seen it over and over again when I read the scriptures. And I firmly grab hold of that in almost every case. You know, I slip, I'm human, I slip every once in a while. Most of the time I look and go, God, don't understand what you're doing, but this is your promise. And I may remind him about it, and I may have a hard time with it, but I'm looking something good. God, I'm waiting for that. I'm waiting for what's good. We may not, but sometimes we do. Sometimes we were, are allowed to see it. Sometimes we're not. But sometimes it's just what others see in us. And sometimes that's exactly what it is. God, you're putting me through the ringer so that that person can be encouraged. And that's one of the stories I've told. You know, I had walked around with gout for six months one time. And I'm going, God, I don't know what was good about this event. About a year later, somebody came up to me and told me how encouraged they were to see me serving God in pain. I'm going, okay, God, you, that my gout attack wasn't for me at all. And sometimes the good is not for us. It's for somebody else who's watching us. And this is important for us to understand because it's not always for my immediate good. Now, God's going to bless us in heaven and he'll reward us. So ultimately, there's going to be good. But sometimes it's just to be an example and People look at Christians, and they always do. And I, you know, many people say, well, I don't think anybody's looking at me. That's, people are looking at you. If you've opened your mouth ever to say that you're a Christian, or people know that you're a Christian, you're being watched. And this is important for us always to understand. You know, there's these stories about you know, fathers who don't realize they're being watched until their son, son or daughter grabs hold of their hand. Yeah. And we've got to really understand, you know, if you're a parent, you're being watched. And if you're a Christian, you're being watched. People want to know, how do you respond? And this is important for us. You know, when we're raising kids as Christians, we're discipling our kids. We're showing them this is how God, a Christian, acts. Hopefully, we're showing them what a Christian is supposed to act like. Yeah. And that was the advantage the disciples had with Jesus. They walked with him 24-7. Whatever happened, they watched what Jesus did. And, you know, this is important for us because sometimes just walking with God opens doors. And I, I share, I've shared, you know, time I got pulled over with the youth in the van. Very embarrassing thing to be caught speeding in a, you know, in a speed trap you never noticed. But when I was respectful to the officer and not getting angry, it impacted the youth. And, you know, and I get it, I said, about two of them were saying, my dad doesn't act like this when he's pulled over. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, dad's, dad's pulled over often enough for him to know how he gets to react, you know, but, but at the same time, it's like, okay, I'm going to live the way God wants me to. I'm going to be respectful. And I just said, you know, hey, I didn't see the speed limit change, but if it changed, I'm getting what I deserve. But it opened up doors to be able to talk to these young men because they saw something different. And this is what people are looking at. Are you going to be different? They're not necessarily looking for us to be perfect. They're saying, how does a Christian act? How are they different from the rest of the world? And when we don't live a life that's different from the rest of the world, all we're doing is you know, making them under, you know, be totally understanding that Christians aren't any different, you know, and that, but they want to see that difference. And if we're following God, we should be different. If I don't get as angry, I don't get as, you know, you know, using all that foul language. If I do, I ask for, <laughs> apologize. And that's something hard to do for sometimes for Christians. Well, man, I just messed up my witness with that person. I need to really tell them I'm sorry. You know, I'm really sorry. I didn't, you know, that's not the way Christians are supposed to act, and I, and I lost my cool. That's going to impress them as well. Because how many people ever apologize <laughs> to them, you know, for something that isn't even really against them? But we as Christians know that it was against him. It took away our testimony. And this is important, you know, to be able to stand up and say, we're different. Not perfect. You know? And we don't use that statement, you know, that to excuse our bad behavior. But, you know, we do know that we're not perfect. We're going to make mistakes. 
And I really don't think the Christian world, the non-Christian world is looking at us to be perfect because if we were perfect, they're going, I could never attain to that, so I don't want anything to do with it. But when they see us fail and we repent and we go forward, maybe even apologize to them, they're going, okay, there's something different. This person does have something different. And that's what they're looking for. The world knows that what they have is not, not valid. You know, and Christians keep telling me that, you know, especially the ones who get saved later in their life. They go, I knew it wasn't good. I knew I wasn't happy, and I was looking for something, and then God came in. And this is very important for us. And it says, God has swallowed up. He's given us victory. Verse 9. And it shall be said on that day, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. He will be we will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. For in this mountain shall the hand of the Lord rest. The Mo and Moab shall be trodden down under him, even as straw is trodden down in for the dunghill. And he shall spread forth his hands in the midst of them, as he that swims spreadeth forth his hands to swim. And he shall bring down their pride to, together with the spoils of their hand. And the fortress of the high fort of your walls shall, bring, shall he bring down, lay low, and bring to the ground, even to the dust. And so here he goes, he says, it shall be said. You know, we are victory, everything is everything's going on, and it says, and it shall be said, lo, this is our God, we have waited for him. And this is why it's so important for us as Christians. People will see the difference, but we need to talk. You know, there's a, there was really in about the 80s and 90s a big push for lifestyle evangelism. You know, live a good, godly life, and people will come to you and ask you questions. Well, hopefully they'll ask you come and ask you questions, but every once in a while you have to open your mouth and say something. Uh, and, you know... And that's why lifestyle evangelism was pretty popular, because it is supposed to be part of who we are. We're supposed to live a life that's different. But you know, it says, how will the people know unless they hear? And at some point, we have to open our mouth and share with people God. And that's not easy sometimes. It's scary, especially when you first start doing it. But it says, we will say, this is our God who we waited for. He will save us. This is the God we've waited for. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. I love this. We will be glad and rejoice. You know, and that is so important, you know, that we will be glad. And you know, this idea of glad literally means to rejoice in God's work. And the rejoice is a deeper, it's who we are in our heart. It's that joy, that peace that we have. So there's two different, different aspects. There's the one that is the deep one. We can be joyful as a Christian when all things seem to be going wrong and we may even be sad or angry, but there's that joy that's deep down inside of us and say, God, you're still in control. I'm angry, I'm sad, I'm depressed, whatever it might be, but deep down I'm going, okay, God, I'm trusting in you. I'm resting. And then there's the times when we're just actively rejoicing and, and praising God. But I, the, the one I love the most is that deep inner sense of joy. God, you are in control. And that comes from trusting in him, trusting his word. And this is one of the things that I've really been focused on in my life. God, where am I with you? Do I fully trust you and rely upon you? Because one of the things I'm becoming convinced is there's people who say they believe God's word but don't live it. When, when push comes to shove, it's like, okay, God, you know, not so sure I believe this. And I'm really asking God help me because I've been going through a lot of interesting trials myself that are really pushing, do I believe what he says? And it's what I tell everybody, you know, that the test comes to us where we're at. If you're, if you're at a first grade level, he gives you a first grade test. You know, and somebody, you know, somebody who's been around, you know, they're, they're at high school and go, man, that was an easy test. How in the world did they fail that? Well, it wasn't easy for that person taking it because they, you know, the, the person who's higher than we are looking at us like, how can you keep falling for those, those things? You know, uh, the tests that we go through are test to us. And God arranges it to be a test to us. 
And we've got to be careful looking at somebody else and saying, well, how can they keep falling for that? Well, because they're a kindergarten. I'm sorry. They're in kindergarten. They're, you know, uh, when, you're in, you know, when you're in first grade and they go, what's, what's two plus two? That's a test for the kindergarten or first grader. You, know, you gave that test to somebody that's in sixth grade or high school and they're looking at you, uh, well, of course it's four. You know, what, 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 that's not a test. Well, uh, yeah, well, let's give you an algebra test. <laughs> Okay, well, I'm in college. Okay, we're going to give you a calculus test. We're not going to give you a two plus two. We're going to, and God keeps arranging our test for where we are with him at that moment. And we need to be careful. If we're looking at somebody that's further along us, we'd be scared to death when we see what things they go through. And if we look at somebody lower than us, it's still a test to them. And we need to encourage them when they fall because they failed the test. And we're going to hope that somebody will encourage us when we fail the test. And the thing about it is we fail the test more often than we pass the test. It's just the way it is. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a test. And uh, it says we rejoice in his salvation. And I look, for, the, for in this mountain shall the hand of the Lord rest. When, when you get this, and this is one of the reasons, this particular place I think he's talking about in heaven where God's just going to rest. There's no, he's done working. Now, now, that could be taken all the way back to creation where God rested on the seventh day. And he goes, okay, I'm done working. You know, I'm going to rest. And we tell people, you know, it wasn't that God tired himself out and created in six days. It was just to show us what we're supposed to do one day in seven. Rest and just relax. Jesus died on the cross, then ascended into heaven where Paul says he sits at the right hand of God, just resting. Now we also know that he said he's building us uh, beautiful mansions so that you know, he's doing other things or having them done at least. And then it says, I love this 11, it's kind of very interesting. He shall spread forth his hands as he that swims spreads forth his hands to swim. And no matter what stroke you do, you move your hands a lot if you're going anywhere. Now, if you're just relaxing, you might be able to get someplace by kicking, but your hands still have to go out front to, to guide and, and lead. But uh, whether you're doing the crawl or the butterfly or whatever, your hands are always moving and stretching out and pulling yourself through the water. And I, it's just a, the picture that he makes, you know, God stretches forth his hands like somebody who's swimming, which means wide. He's stretching his hands wide. And it says, and he will bring down the proud with the spoils of their hands. And the word for spoil here is their artifices, their trickery. He says he brings down the, pride, the proud with all of their plans, all of their sneaky plans and everything. And the proud are usually trying to be sneaky and trying to make others look bad so they look good. And I've seen this over and over where somebody just wants to make themselves look good and build up and make themselves look good instead of doing good things they usually try to tear down others and that's a sad thing but it is human nature well I can't I'm not doing really well myself so I'm just gonna make this person look bad and that's the way the world works so often and unfortunately many Christians do the same thing I'm gonna make myself look good by pointing out all their faults and we need to be so careful we're to lift each other up we're to build each other up we're to affirm one another and not try to tear people down. The flesh wants to tear down, make, you know, lift myself up. Jesus said that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. If you want to be the greatest in the kingdom, you're to be the servant of all. God's way of things is doing is, okay, let me lift you up. If people don't think that great of me, it doesn't matter. God, God knows. But let's lift you up. Let's make you feel good. Let's lift you. You, know, you did that? Oh, that's wonderful. I'm glad you did that. And it's really amazing how people respond to being edified and built up. I used it as a manager, trying to, you know, got more out of people by, you know, telling them how good a job they did than trying to tear them up for the stuff they didn't do right. Now, there was times when you had to correct, and, but, you know, I love to be able to say, oh, you did really good that, I, you know, keep that up. You know, I like what you did with that customer. That was really good. Or I like what you did there. That was, that was good. You know, when people get praised, they try to earn more praise. <laughs> and it happens everywhere. It's human nature. You feel good. I got, oh, they liked what I did. You know, we all like it to a degree. Now, sometimes there are people that don't 
you know, like it that much. But for the most part, people like to be praised. I don't mind being praised as long as I feel it, it's something deserved. I don't like it when people give me false praise. And I've had that happen to me. And somebody gave me a false praise one time, and I'm going, well, what do you mean? What, you know, you know I don't understand that. <laughs> and, you know, it's got to be real. And that's the one thing about building up and edifying. It's got to be something real. It's not something to just, well, I'm going to tell you good things about yourself when none of it's real. That's not building up and it's not edifying. Um, and, but he says, you know, God is going to tear down. And then it says, the fortresses of their high walls shall be brought down low and ground into dust. And this is not just physical, even though it is, but how many times do we build fortresses around our sins so that God doesn't get to touch them? You know, all, all of us have some place in our life and our soul where we go, okay, God, you can have everything but this area. <laughs> I, I like this sin. And you know, it's part of growing. When we first start growing, we got lots of little fortresses all over our life. That we say, okay, God, uh, you can have that room. I'm, I've got these other rooms over here. And eventually we let him take more and more of the rooms. And he gets to take more and more of the fortresses. You know, and God says, I want to cast down all your vain imaginations, all of those strongholds he wants to tear down. And eventually we give him more and more. And one of the great things about God is how gentle he is with us. Most of the things that I've given up in my life, and when I give them up, I don't even think I've given them up, but usually they're things that God asks more than once about. Are you ready to give up this? Nope, God, not ready. And then he starts making it in a miserable area of the life. <laughs> until I'm ready to give it up. Uh, remember when I gave up my sports. I used to be addicted to sports. And there's nothing wrong with sports necessarily other than it kept me away from God and the Bible for hours at a time. And you know, God kept going, are you ready to give that up? We can spend more time together. Nope, like my sports. You ready to give up? Nope, like my sports. Then one day I'm going, what the heck am I watching all these wasted time for? I can spend more time with God. And I don't miss it. It doesn't mean I never watch any sports, but it's you know, I'm not addicted to them like I used to be. And God does this in different areas with each one of us where he says, okay. And sometimes it's not even sin that he takes out of our life. He just says, you could spend more time with me or you could do this better. You could do this better if you just give up this. And this is why I've, I don't know where I ever heard it. I thought I came up with it originally, but I heard a pastor today say something very similar. So I might've heard him a lot many years ago. But so many times we give up the best that God has in, in store for us for good things. And we do good. And Satan says, okay, can't keep you from, from God completely. Let's get you in the good. We'll keep you away from God's best. And we need to be very careful about that. We can get wrapped up doing good and not be doing what God really wants. And there'll be some reward for the good. I mean, it's not that it's bad. <laughs> But God says, you know, well, you've been playing around in here, you know, uh, and you've been having all kinds of fun playing with the mud pies, but I wanted you over here in the amusement park. You know, you'd have had a lot more fun in the amusement park than, than playing with the mud pies. And, you know, that's kind of a far-fetched thing, but that's kind of what I'm meaning. You know, we get, we get satisfied with something that's okay. Nothing wrong necessarily, but it might be from mud pies, but... <laughs> But you know, God says, I had so much more. I had a better plan for you. And you were satisfied with such simple things. And we need to really just go before God and go, God, what is it you want? What can I do for you that you want to do? And I've seen this happen, and I got caught up with it as, as a young Christian, getting so busy doing things in the church that needed to be done and not doing any of them really good. And there's an easy thing to happen. And God really taught me a very important word. And most people don't know this word. They can't put it in their life, and it's the word no. No, no, I can't do that, or no, I don't, you know. Now, we need to pray. And if somebody throws out a, an idea to us, we need to pray before we just automatically say no. But it is possible to get so busy that we burn ourselves out and drop away from the church or just quit everything because I get so tired because I'm doing 
everything. We want to be careful about that. And it's very important. I've seen people burn out, and I'm very sensitive to it. What has God asked you to do? I'm a firm believer that there's one job in the church that God, you know, in God's kingdom in the church that God has given that person to do. And for some people, it may be two or three jobs. But the question is, is God putting it on you? If you are all stressed out at, at everything you're doing in the church and for God, you're doing things he didn't, doesn't want you doing. Plain and simple. Now, all of us will have places where we get tired. And, and uh, as much as I love being a pastor, there's sometimes when I just say, God, this is, this is a hard job. Not very often because I know I'm doing what God wants me to do and I enjoy every part of being a pastor, but there's those times when I get tired and, you know, oh, I gotta do this again? And, you know, not very often. When, when I, before I left, left the previous church to come here, I was replacing me, myself with all the jobs I did. And it was actually good for the church because instead of having one person do the jobs, it took four people to do the jobs that I was doing, which involved a lot more people. I never felt burnt out or stressed. Everybody's going, you do so much, you do so much. And I just loved everything I was doing. And it was never a problem. And if we're basically loving what we're doing, it's good. We're probably doing what God wants us to do. But if I always dread something, oh, I got to go do this again, probably doing more than God wants me to do. And I've seen this, you know, a lot of churches have trouble getting people in the nursery. You know, I told the pastor, I could solve your nursery problem real quick. Close the nursery. Well, that means the kids will be in the service and going, doesn't bother me. I'm worshiping God. The kids can be in the service. It doesn't bother me. If it's going to bother people, you're going to get volunteers to take care of the nursery once a month. You know, you're going to, you're going to get the volunteers. If it really bothers people, they'll volunteer. You know, and I really truly believe that if, if we're in a ministry and we can't get people in the church to cover that ministry, it may be time to look and say, is that something we're supposed to be doing? And maybe we're not. And it doesn't matter how long we've been doing this. That's something I've really pushed in our church. You know, we need to look at everything we're doing and not keep doing it just because we've always done it. Uh, because God may have moved on. And said, okay, that was good for its season. Now we're, we're over here now. Don't stay over there. <laughs> we're, I'm over here. Get, get, come on over here. That, that job's done. <laughs> come over here. And yet we can, as humans, get stuck. God, you know, we've been doing this this way for 98 years. <laughs> we can't stop this. And, you know, God is new. He says his mercies are new every morning, and sometimes he's just moved on. And he says, let's, let's see what's going on. Let's move forward. I'm going to break down these fortresses. I'm going to crush them into dust, and we're moving on. And we need to be ready to move on with God. Just look to God and say, God, what, it, what is it you want? and put time in prayer. And let's close. Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for learning about you, that you are our joy, you are our strength, and that you give victory, and you wipe tears from our eyes, even in this world, not just into heaven. And we just thank you and help, ask you to help us in, to see that and joy in you. In Jesus' name, amen.